story. Well, like we did last week or two weeks ago, we're gonna uh, we're gonna spend some time here tonight. I know Easter's already passed, but um, we're just gonna spend a few minutes tonight. And we're last time we looked at the arrest and trial of Christ, and tonight we're gonna look at the trek to Calvary. So if I could get somebody to help me pass these out, please. There you go. And I'm going to need, uh, I need somebody to, that can, wouldn't mind reading. I need a, a Matthew, a Mark, a Luke, and a John. So if you don't mind reading tonight, come and take a seat. Oh, come on, you don't want me to read all this. You'll come? There's one. 25, I think. There's a copy machine in there. It'll make as many as you need. Get your Bible? Yeah, you need one of those? Huh? Um, let me see. There you go. Now it is. I need a Luke. Anybody interested in reading Luke? Come on, William. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The four apostles. Let me turn it. No, it should turn on. So y'all have to share a microphone. There you go. Your own. So last week we talked about that Jesus had six trials. Three with, Jew, three with the Jews and three with the Romans. He was before Pilate twice. He was before uh, Herod once. He was before um, the Jews three times. And then at the end, Pilate appealed to the people. They refused, and Jesus was sent to be crucified. So between Pilate's judgment and Jesus' death on the cross is about a six-hour period. Jesus... Um, began left Pilate and by at nine o'clock in the morning about nine o'clock in the morning the Bible calls it about the third hour of the day so that's about nine o'clock in the morning Jesus was crucified and so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about the steps uh, between the time that Pilate um, condemned Jesus to be crucified and the time that he actually died so that's what we're going to look at tonight and so um First one is what I've called the trek to Calvary. So, if you want to follow along with us, we're going to start there in Matthew 27, 31 through 33. And when they, when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Now, as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, the place of the skull. All right. Mark 15, 20 through 22. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him 
and put on his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simeon of Cyrene, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexandria and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place of Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. Okay. Luke 23, 26-31. As they led him away, they seized Simon, uh, Serena, who was coming in from the country, and laid the cross on him to carry behind Jesus. A large crowd of people followed him, including women who were mourning and lamenting, lamenting him. Now turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Israel, of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. Look, the days are coming when they will say to women without children, in wounds that never bore the breast, that never nursed, are fortunate. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? All right, and then we got John 15, 16 through 18. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. Okay, so we got four accounts here of the time from Jesus leaving Pilate to the time he got to the place where he was to be crucified. And can you tell me the differences? Okay. Oh, it's right here. The differences. Did you hear any differences between the accounts? Now, Matthew was written first. Matthew was written in about 37 A.D. in Aramaic, and he re rewrote it around 62 BC A.D. in Greek. The next, Mark was the next one written around 62, somewhere along in there. Luke was later, and John was in the 90s. John was the last one written. He wrote about 90 A.D. So there's quite a bit of space between the first one that he wrote and the last one. So the first one, Matthew simply gives us the, the, the facts of, of what happened. Mark adds a little bit extra to it. Do you remember what Mark added? So he's, Mark said, Mark said it was um, Simeon, this thing is, Either my ears are ringing really loud, or this thing's ringing loud. I'm not sure which Probably one. Probably because William's mic's right there. Yeah, just just turn their mic down a little bit. There you go. So um, he said it was. What did you say? S uh, Simon the Cyrene, and he was the father of who? Father of Alexander and Rufus. So why did Mark mention Alexander and Rufus? Matthew did not mention that. Neither did Luke or, or John. Why do you think Mark mentioned that it was the father of those two guys? Well, nobody really knows, including none of us. 
But the speculation is that by the time Mark wrote his gospel, so this happened about 30 A.D., and by the time Mark wrote his gospel about 32 years later, it's anticipated that these two young men had become Christians so that they were known in the Jewish church. So Mark said, you know, uh, what was his name, Rufus? Alexander, you know, Alexander and Rufus's dad. Can you relate to that, you know? Yeah, he, Simeon buried his cross, you know, Alexander and Rufus's dad. So it's, it's, it's thought that Mark referenced that because it was somebody that was now known in the congregation. One of these others also mentioned, Williams, Luke mentioned something different too. You remember what Luke mentioned? Luke mentioned that Jesus had a conversation with the people in the crowd. And he said, don't weep for me, but weep for those that are, that are coming after me. You know, weep, weep for them because of the, the destruction of Jerusalem that was going to happen in 70 A.D. Weep for them. So as Jesus was going to the cross, uh, he was, most people believe he was so weakened from the beating that he occurred that he couldn't carry the cross. So they simply got somebody out of the crowd, uh, Simon the Cyrene, and he, they, put it, they put the cross on him. And he carried the cross for Christ, and on the way, Jesus had a conversation with these ladies. And now we've got him to the top of the hill called Golgotha. Golgotha. So we've got him to the top of Golgotha, which means the place of a skull. So uh, number two, only Luke mentions this. So this is the first utterance from the cross. So William, you're on. Luke 23, 32 through 34. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. Father, forgive them, because they do not know what they're doing. Do you remember anyone else in the New Testament whom, when he was being killed, fell to his knees and said, Father, forgive them? Stephen. 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 Uh, First Peter talks about how when Christ was reviled, he reviled not again. So Jesus is setting a pattern for us to be merciful, to not, to not, to not condemn people for doing things when they don't know what they're doing, and to, and to ask forgiveness. This is an important point in a Christian's life to understand this. Because Jesus tells them in the book of John, he says, Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. And whoever sins you keep, they're kept. John said that we should forgive people who commit a sin that aren't, that, that's a sin not unto death. What, what's a sin not unto death? You, you want to read that? That's unto death. Let's look at 1 John. Just, just for a minute. Let's look at 1 John. That's definitely, that's, that's unforgivable. So let's look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. 1 John chapter 5, 16, it says, If any man see his brother sin a sin that is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for that sin not unto death. There is a sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. And I do not say that you should pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, 
and that wicked one touches him not. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies in wickedness. So what is a sin that's not unto death that we're able to pray for and God is able to forgive other people on my prayer? What is a sin not unto death? Okay, let's think about this for just a second. When the high priest went into the most holy place to make, sacri make sacrifice for the people, if someone had committed adultery, adultery, was that sin forgivable by the priest? Or did, Jesus, or did God specifically say that if someone has committed this sin, they have to bring a lamb for their own sin? He said, he said that you, if you committed a trespass, that you had to bring a lamb for your own sin. If you committed another type of sin, you had to bring a ram. There was goats that had to be brought. And all of them were specific sins, and there's only one type of sin. Of the five major types of sin, there's only one type of sin that was forgivable by the priest. Let's look at the book of Hebrews. Let's see if Hebrews tells us anything about it. Well, I'm shooting from the cuff now. <laughs> Lord, help me. Lord, help me. <laughs> so let's look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. Hebrews, chapter 9. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about sins that are forgivable, that God will forgive if I ask God to forgive you. If you commit this type of sin and I ask God to forgive you, then God will forgive you based upon my prayer. Now, there is a sin that's unto death, and, God, and John said don't pray for that one. But he also said that there is a sin that's not unto death, and I'm allowed to pray and ask the Lord to forgive you, and God will, just like Jesus did, just like Stephen did. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 9. It says, verse 6, says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God, but into the second went the high priest alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for... And for what? The errors? The errors of the people. So what is an error? An error is a sin that's committed in ignorance. It's a sin that's, that, that, that's, that you committed in ignorance. Something that you, let's say something that you, um, that you, you thought was overcome, that you thought was out of your system, and, and you get in a situation and suddenly you blurt something out. You get mad and you, you know, and, and you do it against me. You get mad about something in the church and you come against me and you're mad and you say something against me and you get against you come against me or against anybody and then you walk away. My first step is to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're just upset. They're mad. This isn't their normal personality. This has got them in a, in a, in a sense. Forgive them. So an error is something that's it's done in ignorance it's something that's not intentional, something that's not premeditated, something that's, that's not a controlling thing that you do all the time. It's something that's committed in error, 
And because you committed it in error, if you commit it against me or if you commit it against anybody that's a Christian, they can pray for you to be forgiven. And God, the Bible says that God will forgive you of that sin that's committed in error. Just like God forgave the people whenever the high priest brought a sacrifice. He forgave their errors. Now, if they transgressed, if they committed a sin that was premeditated, then they had to bring their own sacrifice. So, you can pray for the community and say, Father, forgive them for their sins. Father, is that, is that making any sense to you? That's why we pray for our nation. Pray for our Thank you. Yeah, we pray for our nation to be forgiven. Lord, for, forgive us for the sin of whatever. Forgive us of what we're doing. Forgive us for desecrating your temple. Forgive us for, for pushing against you. Forgive us, Lord, as a nation. And that's not just idle words. That, that contains weight. Paul, in the book of 1 Timothy, says that the, he, he's, he, he wants a certain man. I think his name is Alexander the coppersmith, I think. I wish I'd have studied this. I've been better at it. First uh, Timothy one verse twenty, he says, "Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme." So their error was that they said the that they said that the resurrection, the, the second coming of or the rapture of the church had already passed. If you read Second Timothy. It tells us that Alexander's error was that, or Hymenaeus's error, was that he said this, the rapture had already passed. Well, that's, that's an error. That, that's, a, that's, that's a miss. But Paul didn't forgive him for it. He said, I pray that I delivered him to Satan so he could learn not to blaspheme. So Paul retained that. Too deep. In John, it's in John, yeah. So, so, so that's when Jesus said, "Father, forgive them." They were forgiven, not because he was Jesus, but because he was a child of God. He was a son of God. So, whenever Stephen said, "Father, forgive them," so they don't know what they're doing, then they were forgiven, because Stephen is a son of God. And whenever someone commits a trespass against you and you and it's done in ignorance now if they premeditated and pre-planned it then that is a sin unto death and John said don't pray for that one if it was something that they 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 did on purpose they premeditated they planned it or something that they always do if this is an action that they that they always do then then John said don't pray for that one but if it's something that's done in error then we can pray and they can be forgiven and then the Lord will deal with them on that forgiveness. Yes, ma'am? Yeah. And then, uh, if, if you put someone's hand in front of 
Jesus asked them to forgive them. Even though they were doing that, they were, it was being done in ignorance. So the first utterance of Christ on the cross after he was crucified is, Father, forgive them. All right, second is, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So Matthew 27, <laughs> that should say 34 through 39, huh? Unless you're going to read it backwards. No, how about 39 through 44? How about 39 through 44? That's even better. <laughs> I thought I made a mistake. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is a king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Robbers. Did you catch that? Robbers. Both of them. Go ahead, Miss Mark 7, 15, 27 through 32. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on the right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which said, He and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Oh, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. Come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that, that, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. Luke 23, 39 through 44. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly, but we are, we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three. So somewhere at nine o'clock, both robbers were cursing Jesus and reviling him. But somewhere around noon, close to noon, one of the robbers realized that he was the son of God. And said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. The forgiving power of Christ on the cross. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So the, uh, that's the, se that's the yeah, second utterance. So let's read the third one here. And it's in the book of John 25 through 19, 25 through 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, 
Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. So somewhere around noon from the cross, Jesus looked down and saw his mother, and he told John, take care of my mother. He took care of his mama. <laughs> Why is this important? Well, Jesus was the firstborn, was he not? So while he had the firstborn rights, he also had the firstborn responsibility. So it was Jesus' responsibility to take care of his mother. And the way he did that was he assigned her to John. And John, tradition says, if you go on to read your sheet there, tradition says that, John, that Mary continued to live with John in Judea until the time of her death, approximately 15 years later. So Jesus took care of his mother. Um, I wrote in here Ephesians 6, 2 through 3. Ephesians 6, 2 through 3 says, honor your, uh, well, let's read it. I'm no good at quoting. I used to try. Ephesians 6, 2 through 3. Galatians, Ephesians. It says, Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. So we as children are responsible to honor our parents, Amen. to honor them. So first commandment with promise. So if you want to live a long time, honor your parents. If you want to die early, disobey your parents. They'll kill you. <laughs> Not really. Not really. I'm joking. So that's the third utterance. Let's go to the next one, which is number five, and it says, Darkness covered the land. So Matthew 7, 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. Okay. Mark 15, 33. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Okay, and Luke 23 through 44. 23, 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three. So for three hours, we have darkness on the land. Now, um, for three hours, Jesus hung in silence and darkness on the cross. There was an astronomer. His name is Phlegon. He's a Roman astronomer, and when speaking of this day, now he doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. As a matter of fact, he wasn't in Jerusalem. He, was, he wasn't a part of this at all. But in his writings, he speaks of an eclipse in the 14th year of the reign of Tiberius. This was the year of Jesus' death, and he says that it was the greatest eclipse of the sun that was ever known to happen. The days turned into night so that the stars appeared. That's how dark it was. That's how much the sun was blocked, was because even the stars appeared. So this is, a, this is more than just a short eclipse of the sun. This is a three-hour phenomenon where the sun stops shining and the stars actually appear. So that, that occurred for about a three-hour period. Uh, number six, Matthew 27, 45 through 49. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama, and that long word, Sabachthani. Pardon me? 
Thank you. <laughs> that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, Let him alone. Let, uh, uh, let us see if Elijah will come to save him. All right, Mark 15, 34 through 36. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama barashanada, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stand by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he called Elias. Oh, okay. And one ran and filled a sponge filled of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. So was Jesus forsaken on the cross? Did God actually forsake Christ? Did God actually abandon Christ on the cross? No? Didn't Jesus just say, why have you abandoned me? How have you forsaken me? So as hard as it is to believe, and, and, you know, you can have your own philosophy on this because none of us were there, and we can always ask the Lord when we actually get there. But most Bible commentators, most people that write about this say that Jesus was actually forsaken for that short period of time on the cross because he bore the sins of the world and he tasted death for every man. So just for a brief instant in time, just for a, 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 a fleeting moment, Jesus experienced what a man who dies in sin experiences. You know, I, I, never, I never really realized what that would feel like. Till my brother died. Because my brother, I wasn't sure my brother was saved. And when my brother died, the first thought that went through my head was, he could be in hell. And I'm telling you, it was fearful to me. It was, it was extremely fearful. Because to think that he might be there for eternity. It was so fearful that I, I told God he had to give me some insight. I had to know. I, had, I couldn't live with that question mark in my mind. And I sought the Lord diligently that he would help me to know where my brother was. And one day my mom was talking about his final hours, and she said that she woke up about 3 o'clock in the morning, and she heard him at the other end calling out on the Lord and asking him to save him, and he touched him. And it relieved my fears. Falling into the hands of a living God, the Bible calls it a fearful thing. An eternity in hell is a fearful thing. It's not something to play with. It's not something to joke about. It's not something to press away. It's something to understand that it is a reality. 
When you breathe your last breath here, you breathe your next breath in eternity. You either breathe it in heaven or you breathe it in hell. It's instant. When Jesus ascended up to heaven and, and offered his blood in the holiest of holies, man became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We were redeemed. And now Paul says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. But the converse is true too. To be absent in this body is also to be present in hell. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks about the rich man and Lazarus in the book of Luke, and that's not a parable. He says there was a rich man, and there was a Lazarus, and he talks about them, and the rich man finds himself in hell, and he asked Lazarus, he asked Abraham if Lazarus could just take his finger and touch in a, a bell of water and touch the tip of his tongue. That's all he wanted because of the torment he was in. He just wanted something to cool his tongue for just a moment and to fall into the hands of a living God whenever you know better, whenever you have sinned and whenever you have rebelled against God and when you have rejected God and you have, you have voluntarily accepted the devil. When you're in that position and you die, then you, you, the moment you breathe your last breath here, you breathe your next breath in an eternal place called hell. And that's not, the, that's not the end of it. It gets worse from there. And the final thing you see in Revelation chapter 20 is that hell itself is thrown into a lake that's called the lake of fire and brimstone, and it's sealed up, and you're forever in hell, and nobody cares that you're there. The Bible says he'll wipe the tears away and make all things new. He removes the memory. If you have a child that dies and goes there, when you get to heaven, you may weep over him for a little bit, but there'll come a moment when the Lord will wipe those tears away, and he'll wipe away that memory too, and you'll never think of that child again. But that child will constantly be there for the rest of eternity, never to escape, never to be redeemed, never to have anything but torment and pain and agony throughout all eternity, throughout all eternity. And just for a moment, Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? And that forsaking for just for a moment was so that Jesus could taste death for every man. So that if somebody says, you don't know what it feels like, Jesus was tried in every manner, like as we, yet without sin. He felt everything you feel. He felt every experience you feel. He felt every pain you feel. He even felt the pain of being separated from the Father for just an instant. And so most people say that's why he said that. If we go to this sheet, it says, It has been difficult to understand in what sense Jesus was forsaken by God. It is certain that God approved his work. It is certain that he was innocent. He had nothing to forfeit in favor of God. His only son, holy, harmless, defiled, undefiled, and obedient God, and obedient, God still loved him. In the life of Christ, Ralph Riggs said, Jesus tasted death for every man. And that was sufficient to pay the price. So, most people believe that Jesus was for just a moment. Not because he had sin, but because he took on sin. There was, I heard a minister say one time, and I'm going to try to get this right. There was three men crucified that day. One was crucified because of sin. One was being freed from sin. And one took on sin. Jesus took it on. He had no sin of his own, own. 
but he took on the sin of the world. He became the scapegoat. He became the propitiation. He tasted death for every man, and in that moment he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did the writers write this as Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? It's, in, it's Aramaic. There, there's several words in the New Testament that are left in Aramaic. I don't, I don't really know why they did that unless, unless the, you know, a lot of times uh, if, if you say something in a certain language and it's translated into English, it doesn't translate exactly right. Ex exactly. You know, like the word love. So in the Greek, there's four or five different words from love. They all have different meanings. There's phileo, there's Philadelphia, there's agape. There's all these words for love, and they all have a different meaning. But in, the, in English, love is love is love. And you determine what I'm talking about by the way I say it or who I say it about. If I say I love William, you know that that's different than if I say I love Kathy. It's the same word, right? Love is love, but you know that I don't love William the same way I love Kathy. Or I can't pastor this church, one of the two. <laughs> don't, don't go there. So sometimes things don't translate exactly right. And, and my personal feeling, and this is my personal feeling, you can, you're welcome to yours, is that they left that in Aramaic because in Aramaic it has a, it has a, a deeper meaning. It has a fuller meaning. It has a, more than just my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I, I don't speak Aramaic, but I, I bet if you research it a little bit, you'll find that that word is a little bit, it's a little bit more wretched than that, a little bit more... Um, feeling and emotional than what, than what we hear it. So, um, that is the fourth utterance from the cross. Uh, number five is, is number seven on your sheet, and it is, let's going to start with Matthew 27, 47 through 48. Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this, is a, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. Okay. Mark 15, 35 through 36. And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he called Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar, and put it on a reed, and gave it him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come and take him down. Okay. I wrote down John twice. I'm not sure why I did that. But John 19, 28, and 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on, upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. So, Jesus had just experienced death for all men. And the Bible says that his act of obedience was that in order to fulfill the scriptures, the book of John says, he said, I thirst. Matthew and Mark doesn't mention that he said anything, but John mentions that he said, I thirst. Now, why would John mention something like that and Matthew and Mark not? Was Matthew standing at the cross when Jesus died? 
Was Mark standing at the cross when Jesus died? Was Luke standing at the cross when Jesus died? Was John standing at the cross when Jesus died? Why would Luke write that? Because he heard him say it. <laughs> you see how, if you just think about these books a little bit, it, it, it's really interesting how personal they are, how incredibly personal they are. John wrote that Jesus said, I thirst. And whenever he said that, they put a sponge on a hyssop and they put it to his lips. So, The people that were there. Let me say the people. Mark 15, 37. Yes. Yeah, some of them when they stood by and heard it say, Behold, he called a lie. This these are the these are the Jews that are there. These are the leaders of the synagogue that are there. They were just reviling Christ and 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 uh now, whenever he says, whenever he makes his, his proclamation, I thirst, wait a minute. No, okay, whenever he, that, okay, that, that verse, what you're talking about, goes back to 34. Him calling, why hast thou forsaken me? And they thought he called for Elias. I don't know why they thought that. I'll I have to research that. I never. But, um, so, yeah, I, and I don't, I'm going to have to. You got me thinking now, and I don't know the answer. Yeah, they thought he was calling for Elias to come. So, yeah. So, uh, but but they gave him each. Mark, Matthew, and Mark mentions that he was given a sponge, but John's the only one that tells us why. Because he said, "I thirst." What's that? He, he, uh, yes. So uh, the next thing, verse 8, and number 8 on your sheet, the next utterance that Christ makes from the cross is, it is finished. So that's Matthew 27, 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Okay, Mark 15, 37. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. John 19, 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So, once again, who knew the words that were uttered from the cross? John, it is finished. Number nine. Anybody have any questions or comments? Yes, ma'am.
I believe that John said that he did it in order to fulfill scripture. Now, I didn't look it up today, but I bet if you look in, back to, in Psalms 22, there'll be a reference in there to Jesus saying, I, Psalm 22, Psalm 22 is, the, is where the utterances are where Jesus said on the cross. That's Psalms 22 is, G, is, is the king in suffering. Psalms 23 is the king in shepherding. Psalms 24 is the king in, in glory. So Psalms 22, and I didn't look it up, so it may not be in there, but Psalms 22 describes Jesus, and, and it, it actually describes his thoughts. It says he looks at his own body, and, and he, he sees, he, he, he talks about that. We could, we could read it tonight if you want to. We've got, we've got a little bit of time. But John said that he said, I thirst in order to fulfill Scripture. So whenever he said that, um, he probably did thirst because the death on the cross was a death of, of, of the body actually depleting itself and, it, it's, and eventually getting to the point that it could no longer raise itself and you basically suffocate on that cross. But um, John specifically says he said it to fulfill scripture. So um, I didn't look it up today, but I would imagine that if we went and read Psalms 22, we would find someplace in there. Actually... Let's, you know, I keep saying it, so let's just go over there and look at it. There, there's a couple of things. I don't know how much y'all want to talk about this. Y'all, are you there? Okay, Psalm 22, and, and I, I don't have it memorized, so I don't. So. The Bible says that, that people came and they reviled him and said, if you be the son of God, come down off the cross. Y'all remember hearing that? Mm -hmm. So Psalms 22, he says, um, verse 12, many, strong, many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravering and roaring lion. Uh, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. That's a, that's a piece of pottery. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me about. The assemblies of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and feet. So the strong bulls of Bashan, those are, those are the Jewish leaders. That's the Jewish leadership that came around him and and said, if you be the son of God, uh, if you go up to verse 7, he says, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake their head, saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. So Psalms 22 is the description of the things that happen. It's the, it's the prophecy of what Jesus fulfilled on the cross. And um, at, at the, uh, he, he goes on to... You know, he talks here about my strength is dried up, my tongue cleaves to my jaw, that has brought me in the dust of death. I don't specifically say in here where he said I thirst. But, but at the end of this, he, in verse 31, it says, Thou shalt come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Does anybody have a different translation than a King James or a New King James? Anybody have like a, what do you have? What is that? Okay, it might have it. Yeah, that's it there. Let me look at Psalms 22 in this book, this Bible. Because there's an alternate translation at the end of that Psalms 22. 
a lot of marks in here. You must read this thing. Okay, this doesn't have it. This says, this at the end of it, it says, about his righteousness, what he has done. Does anybody have an NIV or NEV? Those, those translations at the end of it say, and, and if you, okay. Um, at the end of it where it says, he shall be born, that he has done this, those translations say that it is finished. Um, Spurgeon talks about this. Several other commentators talk about this. So Psalm 22 even ends with the phrase, it is finished. So he said, I thirst in order to fulfill scripture. And then he said, it is finished. And because it's finished and it's finished in 22, we know that the suffering of Christ, he was talking about that suffering that was necessary in order for mankind's sin to be washed away. That suffering was finished. So if somebody wants to say, well, in order to be saved, you have to accept the blood of Jesus Christ and blah, 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 the and blah, blah, blah is not there because it is finished. When Jesus died and gave up his life on the cross, it is finished. What you got there, Crystal? Spurgeon? What does it say? <laughs> is that Psalms 22? You're going to make me read it? Just touch the screen. Oh, this isn't Psalm 22. This is his commentary. So, yes, sir. Uh-huh. Mm -mm. I don't think he was fearful. Um because he conquered all the fear. He emptied himself in Gethsemane. He did not. And haven't you ever said that when you don't have that feeling? Haven't you ever said, God, where are you? Even though God was there. Even though you even though you weren't you were still saved, even though you weren't you, you but you asked, God, where are you? Same thing. He he felt yeah, for the first time he felt that he felt that void. He felt what a an unsaved man feels at the end of his life. Doesn't mean that he ever ceased to be the son of God. He emptied, and he wasn't fearful. He emptied himself of all that in Gethsemane. When he said, when he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, what not what I will, but what you will. When he said that, then he 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 emptied himself of all fear, of all will, of everything of himself. He emptied it right there. He 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 essentially went to the cross in Gethsemane. It was done. The rest of it was just acting it out. So he had no fear. He had no, he had no, he, he knew everything that was going to happen. He, he, he accepted the pain. He accepted the ridicule. He accepted the torment. He, he even accepted the separation from God. He separated it. He, he accepted it. And, and sometimes, Sometimes we give human attributes to God so that we can identify with God. When it says, when it talks about, um, let me see, when it, um, I can't think of a good example right now, but, but, but human attributes are given to God so that we can identify with God. And, and so anyway, God, Jesus wasn't fearful. He just was making a note that he experienced that. 
he was a lamb to the slaughter. And he, and he, if, if he hadn't said that, then we would never know that he did that. So that's why it's... Right. So I don't... I, I, I know, not, not, I don't really, I thought, I think the NIV has it that way, I think. <coughs> the Amplified has it that way? What does Amplified say? It is finished. So it's Amplified. Uh, it's just a, you know how the Amplified is, it's kind of, it just gives a better sense, uses more words. Some people say it's the women's version because it uses so many words. <laughs> I'm glad y'all are laughing. <laughs> I'm trying to get y'all to kind of. <laughs> but he said, it, the, the sense of it is that it is finished. Um, and, and the Amplified just gives a, a little bit better definition, a little bit more words to it to help you understand the sense of what was being said, yes. Huh? He is active. Oh, okay. Yes, sir. Well, in Hebrews, it says that he, he learned to be a son by obedience. So he had to he had to subject his own will that, you know, he was human. If, if he wasn't human, then he could never be tempted. Yeah. And then it, right. Yes. And that's where he poured himself out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that so the rest of it was just the completion but yeah but he he had to empty himself of his own wills and his own desires just like you and I do if they were to tell me that I was going to be arrested and I was going to be put on trial and I was going to be put in jail for something I would have to because I was told one time whenever they uh whenever they stopped prayer at a football game I was on the Silvery school board and we told them we were going to pray anyway Bless God, we'll show them. We're going to pray anyways. And our attorney said that if we willfully violated a federal order as a governing body, then we were subject to personal accountability for that. In other words, they could press charges against us personally for, for intentionally violating a federal order. And he says that could mean anything up to jail time and confiscation of your bank accounts, your house, those types of things. He said, I'm just going to tell you that that's, that's possible. I'm not going to tell you it's going to happen. I'm just saying it's possible. And I'll tell you what, you may think, oh, bless God, I'll show them. I'll dock their eye. I won't do it, man. I'll stand my ground. But when you got two kids at home and a wife and, and, and car notes and house notes and they tell you you may go to jail and then they confiscate your house and 
confiscate your vehicles and, and <laughs> take over your bank account. Uh, it causes you to sit there and think about it a little bit, you know. And if you're going to do something like that, then you've got to empty yourself of all that stuff and realize that that, that could happen. And, and I'm going to tell you right now that, that what, I, what we were doing was wrong to shake our fist at the government and say we're going to do what we want to do because the Bible says that you should respect the leaders. Now, if they give you things that are against God, then that's different. I don't know. Well, maybe we should. I don't know. That's one of those question, ethical questions. If we're studying ethics. I think if they came here and said they're going to shut down the church forever and you can't meet, I think that's where we draw the line. I think we still meet. We may have to meet in a somebody's house, but you don't just stop under a tree or in a home or whatever. So anyway, we're way we're way away from this, aren't we? Let's make our way back because I'm not prepared for all this. But anyway, it is finished. So he emptied himself out. Let's go to the next one, which is number nine. That's Luke 23, 46. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, in, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying these, this, he breathed his last. So Luke mentions the words that he says. And the final thing, uh, Mark 15, 38 through 41. And the veil of the temple was rent in twine from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the less of the, of the Hoseas and Salome who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. All right, Luke 23, 46 through 49. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what happened, he began to glorify God, saying, This man really was righteous. All the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place went home, striking their chests. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. John 19, 31 through 37. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other, which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came out blood and water. And he that saw it and bared record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he say true, that ye might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. 
And again, another scripture saith that they shall look on him whom they pierced. So here we have the final account of the, of the four. Well, I guess Matthew didn't say anything, but of three of the, the, the writers. That's Mark, Luke, and John. Each one of them giving us a little bit different picture of what happened. John noted the, that they didn't break their legs and that they pierced his side. Um, and uh, so that's... And um, Mark noted that the temp veil in the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. So, hmm? Hallelujah. <laughs> it did. Matthew mentioned it too, but I'm holding off on Matthew because he gets into something else real quick there, a little bit too fast. So next time, whenever we study the resurrection of Christ, we'll start with Matthew because he, he gives us a little bit different picture uh, in a real quick quick verse there and I wanted to make sure that we covered it at the right spot so uh, if you notice the centurion what did the centurion say in Mark what did he say surely this man was the son of God what did he say in Luke righteous man who's right both so he said surely was a righteous man and the son of God all right, anybody have any questions that I can answer without getting too far off this sheet? <laughs> All right. Okay, uh, let's stand then and we'll be dismissed. We will. We will. Yes, ma'am. Oh, goodness. Okay. Anybody else? All right. Let's be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for these needs that have been presented, Lord God. You've heard each one, Father. And, Lord God, we pray, Father, that you would comfort these families, oh God, affected by the deaths. God, we praise you, Almighty God, that you are a comfort to us, O oh Lord. And we thank you tonight, God, for leading us and guiding us through the valley of the shadow of death, O oh God. We pray, Lord God, that you would comfort them and keep them, O oh God, in Jesus' name, Lord God. Father, we praise you, Lord God, for the opportunity to study your word tonight. Father, I pray, Lord God, that this has been beneficial. And I pray tonight, Lord God, that you would lead us and guide us through the remainder of the week, Lord God. May your Holy Spirit touch our hearts, our minds, and our souls by Christ Jesus. And we give you praise for it tonight in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. God bless you.